The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, all of you. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. All of you happy warriors, eager devotees of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, spiritually grounded in everything that is life-affirming, devoted to your faith, your families, your finances, and your friends, knowing that you can triumph over those who both intentionally and unknowingly promote a dark abyss of satanic secular socialism and all the many social pathologies it generates. When I, your rabbi, promise to reveal how the world really works, it's in the hope that you will help defeat all of those pathetic creatures of modern secular fundamentalism, those orphans in history who possess neither Christian fortitude nor even pagan ferocity, which I must admit would almost be welcome, those hideous hermaphrodites and fanatical feminists running our media, education, government bureaucracies, who possess neither the strength of men nor the intuitive wisdom of women. But oh, what damage they manage to inflict. Never fear. Here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, I solemnly commit to help you transform timidity to triumph. Together we will replace diffidence with determination and displace the divided counsels of doubt with the steady eyes and firm hearts of those who just like us know where they are going and they know just how they are going to get there. We strive for success, first with our families and our faith, then our finances and our friends forming bonds of the like-minded, after which we will be ready to take on the formidable task of saving our frighteningly fragile civilization from those who would force us to surrender our freedoms and our souls to the whims and dictates of those who consider themselves to be our superiors, our elites, our betters, our bosses, our rulers. But before we change the world, we have to change ourselves. Before we make the world a better place, we have to make our homes and our businesses better places. And then our efforts and our dreams become leveraged, and together we achieve so much more. The two sure ways of building a bridge over the dark abyss of mortality is by building a family, building our finances, and connecting with others, doing the same, who share your worldview, or even others who may share only part of your worldview. Just connect. That's all we have to do. Just connect. Now, I've noticed 
that the two entertainment capitals in the United States, New York and Los Angeles, and uh, in New York, entertainment that originates there in New York almost assumes that everybody watching, the people for whom it is intended, are all either Jewish or they have Jewish friends or they're intimately familiar with Jewish life, habits, and customs. Now, in Los Angeles, a little bit less, not entirely gone, but in, an, in Los Angeles, it's a little bit less. Entertainment originating on the West Coast also presumes Jewish familiarity. Well, I can understand, you see, Los Angeles, and particularly the entertainment industry, very Jewish in Los Angeles, and New York is a, a very visibly and heavily Jewish city to begin with. And so it's very easy. If you spend all your time in New York or Los Angeles and you spend all your time associating with people who are just like you, then understandably you end up thinking that the whole world is Jewish. And that is why it is that so much of the entertainment has uh, – Jewish phrases and, and words and habits and uh, idiosyncrasies. You know, one of the uh, very smart guy, uh, Larry David, produced, he created the Seinfeld show, many, many other things. Uh, again, you know, but very Jewish ethnically and, pre and presumes, just looking at his stuff, assumes everybody is. Uh, Howard Stern on Sirius Radio, uh, one of the sort of original shock jocks. Uh, again, you know, does his show out of New York. He is Jewish and assumes that either everybody is or everyone's familiar with it. And so uh, in, in, in a Howard Stern hour, it's very unusual for him not to use some kind of Jewishism. So I thought that uh, given that the whole world is not Jewish, Given that conservative America is not Jewish, uh, I thought maybe we will uh, give you a little bit of an insight uh, into Jewish life in America uh, in a way that only an Orthodox Jewish rabbi could provide without running the fatal risk of being demonized instantly as an anti-Semitic bigot. Uh, so that's what we're we're going to talk about, and uh, and you might just think of the show as a sort of public service message, because after all, a lot of the entertainment you consume originates in New York and Los Angeles, and uh, on the off chance that you sometimes find yourself a little lost, a little baffled and bewildered, a little puzzled and perplexed, this show solves that problem for you. Now, one of the things we have to start off with is that uh, uh, only about, and this is a rough percentage, but it's not far off if I say only about 20% of those who self-affiliate as Jewish in the United States of America believe in God, believe the Bible to be the word of God, uh, live their lives to, to whatever extent they're able to, uh, at least wanting to live according to the way the Old Testament instructs Jews to live. That means predominantly eating only food that conforms to the dietary laws of the Old Testament, 
and um, that uh, usually called the kosher laws, um, observing the Sabbath, uh, meaning that you don't drive or, or use electronic devices on the Sabbath, and uh, and that you observe the what are called the Jewish family laws, which primarily basically mean that husband and wife do not uh, have intimate contact uh, during the time of the wife's menstrual cycle. That's basically in short. Um, kosher food, observance of Sabbath and festivals, and, uh, and marital laws, that, that sort of uh, identifies uh, the clarity in terms of uh, Jewish affiliation. No more than 20% of, at maximum of American Jews are there. How many American Jews are there? Um, about 4 million. So less than a million, about 800,000, uh, which is a huge number, but it's a small, relatively small proportion of all the people. Now, how about the remaining 80% of the 4 million? How about the remaining 3.2 million American Jews who self-identify as Jewish but uh, do not uh, believe the Bible is the word of God, do not follow any of those uh, regu regulations and rituals, um, what are they like? Well, for the most part, they tend to be hostile to faith. Many of them would uh, be quite uh, uncertain of how they feel about God. Um, if they, they would might call themselves agnostic. Many would call themselves atheistic. Most of them would, would very definitively say, I'm not religious, okay? And, uh, and you can make of that what you will. But uh, that, interestingly enough, uh, the, that same breakdown works pretty much in terms of the politics. Again, that same 20% of American Jews who take the Torah seriously uh, would tend to be very conservative in their politics. Uh, Donald Trump overwhelmingly supported by this group um, into um, which um, uh, category his daughter and son-in-law also fit. So uh, the other 3.2 million American Jews make a religion of their politics, their liberalism, uh, they proudly proclaim that liberal values are what Judaism is all about. I mean, serious, this, this is really what's going on. Uh, the, um, one of the newspapers that is the sort of organ of left-wing Judaism is called The Forward. And uh, I, I don't recommend a subscription, but a glance at it will, will more than suffice to show you just how far off in left field uh, this part of the American Jewish community is. Um, people have often um, said that, uh, that the Democratic Party is the uncircumcised wing of Judaism. Uh, the fact is most, most Jews still do circumcise in exactly the same way, by the way, that a majority of American males, non-Jewish American males, also still uh, do go ahead and circumcise. And that's for a variety of reasons. For many people, it is, in fact, a, a religious matter. 
So, uh, and so within the uh, within the category of that twenty percent, uh, you will have quite a range. There will be a, a small percentage of them will be Hasidic Jews, and those are the Jews you'll see in Williamsburg or in Crown Heights in New York, uh, parts of uh, Lakewood, New Jersey, and you know, even parts of Los Angeles, looking very distinctive, black hats, black coats, uh, even in August in Los Angeles, that's how they would dress. But then you're also, you're also going to have people who are just every bit as serious about faith, but who will be wearing jeans and a, a colored shirt and a baseball cap, because one of the characteristics of this 20% of American Jews is that the men keep their heads covered, either with a skull cap, something we call a yarmulke, which in Hebrew means a fear of God, and, uh, or else uh, sometimes a fedora. And uh, if you've seen pictures of me, if I am uh, in, in any formal environment, I'm usually wearing a fedora. If I'm boating, I'm wearing a, a baseball cap. Um, it just depends, or I might be wearing a yarmulke. But um, the the key thing here is not the, the the dress or the outward manifestations. The key thing, as I say, is a serious commitment to uh, God's laws in the Torah given to Jews, particularly in those areas of Sabbath and holidays, uh, dietary laws, and uh, marital intimacy laws. That's uh, th that pretty much defines it. And you've got Jews who, who dress in a, in a variety of ways, but all of whom conform and, and naturally all basically get on. I'm not going to say that uh, they're all one big happy family because the old joke says two Jews, 11 opinions. And, uh, and, and that, to a large extent, is true. Now, uh, when we come back, uh, I want to tell you about a woman called Carrie Purcell. She's not Jewish but uh, she spent quite a few years dating two Jewish guys living in New York, and, uh, and she had quite an experience of it. She wrote about it in the Washington Post. I'm going to tell you what she wrote, and then I'm going to tell you the reaction in the Jewish community. Um, that's, <laughs> that's almost more interesting than the piece she wrote, actually. At any rate, the website, rabbidaniellappin.com, rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, that is where you will find uh, all current information on uh, the activities of uh, my wife and myself and our organization. You will find things we've written recently. You will find uh, reference to our daily television show and, and a whole lot of other stuff. So head over and visit rabbidaniellappin.com. Uh, back with you in just a moment. The Blaze on Demand. The Blaze on Demand. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Hi, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin, and Retirement Curveball is a book by a finance expert that I respect, Dr. Tom McPhee. Whether you are thinking about retirement, are already retired, or have never given the big R even a thought, now is the time to welcome the contents of this book into your mind. The book is filled with compelling aha moments and will motivate you to make some highly effective changes in how you manage your money and your life. I know Dr. Tom McPhee and his terrific book, Retirement Curveball, and I do recommend it. Get the book at retirementcurveball.com or on Amazon. Welcome back to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody. 
And yes, this is the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I reveal how the world really works. Yes, we got a lot to do, so we have to move right along, because uh, I now have to disclose some top-secret information. That's right. And uh, the top-secret information is that there are two organizations, one Jewish, one not, uh, that are, uh, to say the least, extremely unhelpful in terms of those of us who see uh, a restoration of America, uh, a new great moral reawakening, probably uh, around a, uh, a Christian revival in the country, a return of traditional morality and traditional outlook. Uh, these two organizations extremely unhelpful. One of them is called the Southern Poverty Law Center, created by a man called Michael D. Mor Morris D., who is not Jewish, but uh, the organization has become a huge empire. And uh, on the Jewish side, an organization called the ADL, or the Anti-Defamation League. Uh, not helpful, meaning that these are two organizations that promote liberalism in in terms of justice and caring and compassion, uh, in all the brilliant ways that the left has always managed to um, uh, seize the language of compassion, an appealing language, a language that makes it sound as if when you go left, when you become a liberal, when you become a progressive, when you become a socialist, you're becoming a better person. Now, don't laugh at this because it's an immensely powerful and effective tool on the left. Uh, the purveying of the entirely uh, propagandized notion that somehow you are a better person, you're a caring person. You care for the poor, you care for the underprivileged, you care for people with different colored skins, you care for uh, illegal immigrants, you just are a caring person if you are a progressive. Well, uh, this is something that both the ADL does and the SPLC, Southern Poverty Law Center. And uh, um, here's the thing to know about the ADL, though. You see, uh, for many years already, uh, the 80% of Jews who are um, connected to Jews connected Jewishly uh, in only a, an ethnic kind of a way, uh, if you like, the Larry Davids of the world. Um, the, their belief is profound in a very simple equation. Judaism equals liberalism. Now, nothing could be further from the truth. That is an entirely false equation. But you follow that if you are persuaded that the values of the Democratic Party are Jewish values. And by the way, right now, some of them are having some difficulty because the Democratic Party is becoming uh, more and more uh, unsupportive toward Israel. And whereas support for Israel is complete among the 20% of Jews, among the 80% who are non-religious, uh, support for Israel is mixed. I don't know that anyone knows what the percentage would be, but just based on my intimate knowledge of the Jewish community, uh, 
I would say about 60% of non-religious Jews support Israel, about 40% don't. Uh, the numbers are moving uh, in the wrong direction, by the way. So, uh, in other words, young people, people who are attending college or going to college or uh, uh, about to attend college, that group of people are becoming heavily influenced in an anti-Israel direction. But uh, uh, the older, more traditional of the non-religious, a little, uh, a little less so. Now, I should um, explain one other thing, and that is that, um, or I, was, I, I said I would just clarify then that uh, the ADL and the Southern Poverty Law Center, in the name of fighting bigotry, fighting anti-Semitism, fighting hate, in, in, the, in the name of all these wonderful things, essentially are uh, advocates for liberalism. That's really all they do. Uh, the, uh, their selection of victims is very specific and very precise, and everything they do is calculated to advance the progressive agenda. That's both on the Jewish side with the Anti-Defamation League of the B'nai B'rith and also with the Southern Poverty Law Center. So that's just something that you have to know about. Uh, the other thing is that um, although the, uh, uh, the only 20% of the uh, religious side of the Jewish community, again, small minority, right, about a fifth of the people, um, intermarriage is a huge problem, okay, In a, meaning that it is totally unacceptable. And so Jews on, on that side of the divide, the religious side of the divide, uh, are, are perfectly happy if their children marry uh, people who are different skin colors, different nationalities, different races, anything, as long as they are also religious Jews. That is uh, an absolute requirement. Um, somebody who is converted to uh, serious Judaism, no problem. But it's very unusual, very unusual that you will find uh, people from religious Jewish families marrying somebody who's not Jewish, very unusual. Now, here's the funny thing. On the other side of the uh, divide, the non-religious Jewish community, about 80% uh, of Jews, say about uh, 3.2 million approximately, uh, it might be a little less than that, but um, there, intermarriage is a little bit of a taboo. It happens an enormous amount, but uh, particularly with an older generation of Jews, it still bothers them. And, and here's the crazy thing. Since they don't believe in their own religion, it turns out that they can be made to feel very uncomfortable because the insistence that their children or grandchildren marry Jews um, really boils down to more of a sort of tribalistic kind of a thing because since they are not identified Jewishly, the only alternative, in other words, religiously, if, you, if you're calling yourself Jewish and you're not um, religiously Jewish, then the only alternative is you're tribalistically Jewish. And, uh, and that's kind of a little, makes, makes people feel a bit queasy, right? It's kind of a bit primitive to, on, to only marry people from your tribe. For what possible reason?
Now, if you're going to say religion, that's a totally different story because uh, to marry somebody of a different religion places an enormous obstacle on what is already the formidable challenge of building a stable marriage. Okay. Anyways, uh, let's dive in. I told you I'd tell you about uh, Carrie Purcell, who wrote in the, uh, in the Washington Post, by the way. They ran the story. And so, first of all, let me just tell you the story as it is, and I'll, I'll be quoting from her article. At any rate, she comes to work in New York. And um, she uh, worked with people, and it's not clear what organization she worked with, but um, she grew up in a uh, largely Christian town in the south part of the United States of America. And now she found herself living and working among people um, who were almost all Jewish. She said that uh, when she was a teenager, she knew very few Jews, uh, as, a, as, a, as a little girl, she attended exactly one bat mitzvah, uh, a Jewish confirmation of a girl when she turns 12, or a, a bar mitzvah is for a boy when he turns 13. But uh, moving to New York, she said, provided endless opportunities to learn about the Jewish faith. Friends invited me to join their families for Passover seders and Hanukkah celebrations. Uh, however, it was through my various romantic relationships where I learned the most about Judaism, a religious faith and culture I've grown to love and respect, but that has also contributed to two of my biggest heartbreaks. Okay, so um, I need to point out here that if a Christian woman from the South uh, says she has dated two Jews, what do I know right away about those two Jewish men, based on what I've already told you? That they do not take their religion seriously. Because why on earth would they date somebody that they would never be able to marry? But since a very large number of Jews do marry Gentiles, marry people who are not Jewish, even Christians, um, the, uh, the, the, her expectation that, you know, and I'm sure she met many uh, non-Jewish women who were married to Jewish guys. So the fact that she was dating Jewish guys is perfectly normal. But now we come to her two biggest heartbreaks. She writes, and I'm quoting her exactly now, over almost seven years and two serious relationships with Jewish men who first said religion didn't matter and then backtracked and decided it did, I've optimistically begun interfaith relationships with an open mind twice, only to become the last woman these men dated before settling down with a nice Jewish girl. So she's pretty upset. She's pretty bitter about this. Uh, and understandably, so uh, your rabbi, for a start, looks at seven years and raises his, eyes, uh, his eyebrows. She writes, over almost seven years and two serious relationships, you spent seven years of your life wasted on two relationships? Don't you have a father? Did your father not say to you, what do you think you're doing? How, how can anybody do that? How can any girl spend an average of three and a half years on a go-nowhere relationship? What a terrible thing. Tragic. How sad I feel about that. So no wonder she feels bitter. Seven years dating first one Jewish guy and then another one. Next she says, um, she said these two Jewish guys she dated 
told her at first that religion didn't matter to them. Lady, it didn't, and it still doesn't. Their decision to end up marrying Jewish women was tribal, not religious. It was because there was strong family pressure, maybe it was grandparents, but whatever it was, um, that's, what they, that's what they wanted to do, but it was not for religious reasons. If religion had anything to do with it, they wouldn't have dated her for three and a half years on average. So uh, she has a, a lovely turn of phrase here, and, and uh, I mean, I do feel sorry for her, you can tell. Uh, she then says, I can now say with certainty that I am tired of being a Jewish man's rebellion. At first glance, I fulfill the stereotypes of a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. I'm blonde, I often wear pearls, and I can mix an excellent and very strong martini. Manners and etiquette are important to me, and when I'm stressed, I often cope by cleaning. I do describe myself as Christian, but loosely and in the most liberal sense possible. I don't discuss my faith for the first time I meet someone or on first dates, but if I find myself falling for someone who does not share my spiritual views, I bring up the subject. If it's going to be a problem, I want to know. So when she says I describe myself as Christian but loosely, I figured that out as well because somebody who was serious about their Christian faith would be very, very wary of marrying somebody who wasn't Christian, never would be Christian. It just doesn't make sense. So here's a young woman who's nominally Christian but isn't terribly religious, doesn't take faith very seriously, and uh, she's miserable and bitter that she's wasted seven years of her life on two Jewish guys that she wants to say were never going to marry her. In that she's wrong because there are so many, the numbers are so huge of Jewish men who do marry non-Jewish women she just ran into two that weren't going to. Or, alternatively, it's always possible. Maybe they just didn't want to marry her. That's possible. Maybe it had absolutely nothing to do with religion. But again, I want you to understand that something that she, by the way, I don't think does understand, and that is that the overwhelming majority of self-identifying Jewish Americans uh, are Jewish by ethnic and tribal reasons, not religious ones. And only 20% of self-identifying American Jews are uh, Jewish because of religious reasons, having to do with God, having to do with the Bible. All righty, that is, uh, as far as we go in this segment, quick break. Before the break, our website, rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, you know what you're going to enjoy? Um, Susan and I for years already have been doing a, an Ask the Rabbi feature where every week we select one of the thousands of questions that get sent in to us and we answer it publicly. You know, we protect people's identity, obviously, but we uh, answer it. And you, on our website, you can actually read a bunch of previous Ask the Rabbi questions and our answers. But we've also published a lovely little book called Dear Rabbi and Susan, and uh, it's a selection of these questions arranged in various categories, financial, family, etc., etc. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it, and uh, you'll find it on the website. You can also find it on Amazon. Uh, it is available on Kindle. It's called Dear Rabbi and Susan. Have a look for it at rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, read about it. See what you think. Uh, I hope you like it. I hope you buy it, and I hope you enjoy it.
quick break and uh, back with you yes in just a moment don't miss the morning blaze with doc people, people forget that people forget that you you know you can't move right you know what you don't have to live there i don't like rocks and i don't like dust and i don't like sand and cactus and casinos vegas change all of this stuff get rid of it all come on man don't move to vegas exactly the morning blaze weekday morning six to nine eastern on the blaze radio network with stories in the areas of family friendship faith and finance this is rabbi daniel lapping only on the blaze radio network on demand okay we're back everybody the rabbi daniel lapping show and i'm going to continue with the article that a, a young Christian woman wrote in the Washington Post. And uh, as I told you at the end of the last segment, she wrote, If I find myself falling for someone who does not share my spiritual views, I bring up the subject. If it's going to be a problem, I want to know. Um, again, that language, who does not share my spiritual views, just say he's not the same religion as me. <laughs> and again, the word spiritual and the phrase spiritual views um, is a clue. People who are religious say they are religious. People who are religious say they are Bible-believing Jews or Bible-believing Christians or God-fearing Jews, whatever they say. Uh, you know, I am Jewish. But somebody who is uh, extremely loosely linked to faith speaks in terms of spirituality. Sometimes people say, uh, no, I'm not really religious, but I'm a very spiritual person. Um, <laughs> I, I have much to say on that topic, most of it irreverent and, uh, to my mind, somewhat humorous. But I'll, I'll pass on that for the moment because we must finish Kerry uh, Purcell's article. Well, that's exactly what I did in my previous long-term relationships, both of which were with Jewish men meaning she did bring it up. And both men said it wasn't a problem that I was Christian, as they considered themselves culturally but not spiritually Jewish. Right? Like I told you before, um, not religious. Okay? Obviously, those two guys were not religious, clearly. At the very least, they were the most lackadaisical Jews I'd ever met. They never fasted on Yom Kippur, or observe Jewish holidays on their own. And when they traveled to celebrate holidays with their families, they made it clear it was an obligation rather than a choice. Again, my dear Carrie, uh, a little bit of research would have told you that uh, out of 3.2 million non-religious Jews in America, uh, I'd say a very good number of them, maybe half, do not fast on Yom Kippur, or do not observe the Jewish holidays, and if they do, they don't observe them as religious events in any way whatsoever. If anything, they're just uh, an excuse for a family get-together, that's all. On more, I'm continuing. On more than one occasion in conversation, we laughed about the fact that I knew more about the Jewish faith than they did. Well, Carrie, that should have been a clue to you. She continues. I knew having an interfaith relationship could be complicated. Well, that's only if you are a committed Christian and they are a committed Jew. But since it seems as if neither is the case here, 
I really think you may be wrong in ascribing the failure of these two romances to anything having to do with Christianity or Judaism. I really do. You dated these guys for about three or four years each. Okay, That's too long. Believe me, if a relationship is headed towards marriage, you'll know that in less than three years. And if you're going to continue hanging out with guys for three to four years, well, you can't blame them for enjoying your company because you're certainly not placing any kind of a premium on it, really. I knew if we stayed together, there might be some difficulties, but I thought it could work. Neither of us were looking to convert the other. We respected each other's faith and culture. And as long as we were able to talk about it, I thought we'd be able to work through any issues that came up. Um, Carrie, I don't really know about you, but I do know these two, two Jewish men, neither of them had any faith at all. They certainly had no faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I don't know what it is you respected. You respected each other's differences, I suppose, or as you say, we respected each other's culture. But again, uh, I'm not sure that culture is something worthy of great respect. Um, I thought that as long as we were able to talk about it, we'd be able to work through any issues that came up. Look, uh, if Planned Parenthood sat down with the Pope, no matter how many cups of coffee they sat down with, and no matter how much talking they did, they're not going to come to an agreement. Well, maybe if it was Pope Francis, you, n you never know, because he seems to be um, becoming a little uncertain about some of these issues. But... Uh, uh, but in general, no, not everything can be worked away simply by talking through. You, you know, it doesn't work like that in the real world. But at any rate, this is all on the presupposition that the problem between you and these two men was religion. I don't think it was because they were not – I think it may be tribal and cultural. But more than that, I just think it was, it was something that didn't work out. Uh, continuing, she writes – an interfaith marriage is nothing new or shocking. In the 1950s, only 20% of marriages consisted of partners of different religions. But by 2018, the total was nearly 50%. A total that includes marriages of one person affiliated with a religion and one who is not, of mainline Protestants to evangelical Christians and Catholic Protestant marriages. Of all the faiths polled by Naomi Schaefer Riley, author of a book called Till Faith Do Us Part, How Interfaith Marriage is Transforming America, Jews are more likely to intermarry than other religions. That's true because it's very simple. You see, and again, I, I'm surprised she doesn't recognize this. Um, in order to be a Christian, you, you don't just get born a Christian. It's a decision you have to make. There comes a point in time where through some epiphany, through some realization, through a decision, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are now a Christian. But uh, with Jews, it's a little bit different. Jews, and I'm going to say for the moment, are under the impression that you're just born a Jew and that's all there is to it. And I'm not going to go into that topic in, in any length today. But uh, what this does mean is that, as I said, there are literally a couple of million of people in America who self-identify as Jewish and atheist. There's nobody who identifies as Christian and atheist. It's not possible. 
when you become an atheist, you stop becoming a Christian. When you become a Christian, you stop being an atheist. The two are mutually contradictory. And the truth is, you cannot be a Jew and be an atheist. Of course you can't, because being a Jew is a whole lot more than just being born of a mother who was Jewish. Right? It means having a relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's something that atheists don't have. And so when she says that um, more intermarriages are, are made by Jews than by others, yeah, sure, because somebody who's a Christian, for the most part, isn't going to marry somebody who isn't. But people may be culturally identified as Jews, have zero religious or faith commitment, and will marry anybody of any background at all. It just doesn't matter to them. The tradition seems to be passed from generation to generation. Um, 80% of married Jews who have just one Jewish parent are married to someone who is not Jewish. Yeah, that's right. People marry people who are not Jewish all the time in that 80% segment of America's Jewish population. Your two guys are in that demographic, and their re reluctance to marry you, I don't think, had anything to do with religion. A small group of leaders uh, in the um, in the Jewish in one of the Jewish movements is even working to promote acceptance of interfaith marriages. That train left the station a long time ago. Uh, the reform movement, as well as the conservative movement, conservatives having nothing to do with conservative politics, but having been a movement started in the 20th century in America to try and conserve Judaism by relaxing its rules, uh, have been trying to accept interfaith marriage for years already. Uh, and just to clarify, uh, the, uh, the Judaism to which I subscribe uh, totally accepts converts, as, as, as I said before, um, right? There's no, nobody has any problem with uh, their children marrying people who have converted to Judaism, but they do have enormous problems with their children marrying people who are not Jewish. Anyway, back to Kerry um, Purcell. Uh, listen to this. She writes, um, For the first few years, no, for the first few of the years I was dating these men, right? for the first few of the years, ladies, you don't spend years dating a guy. That's why in a recent show I spoke about the advantages of courting over dating. Why is this so hard to understand? Ladies, please get this. You have only a few best years, right? We guys marry you because of how you look. We guys marry, and no, that's not all. I mean, obviously, uh, there have to be um, similarities and, and um, parallelisms in, in family and aspiration and religious outlook and, uh, and monetary expectations. Of course, all those things are true. However, please don't think that sex has nothing to do with it. Right? Please understand that that's a crucial part uh, falling in love, it's, that's a nice, pretty phrase, but what it really means is we want to sleep with you. And um, your, your best years move on by. And, um, you know, they are from 18 to something, whatever it is. But to spend seven of those years with two guys, one consecutively, one after the other, and it's not going somewhere, how sad a story that is.
I feel so sorry for her. For the first few of the years I was dating these men, the fact that I was not Jewish really came up. My boyfriends helped decorate my Christmas trees, attended parties hosted by my friends from church, and their parents seemed to like me. I loved learning more about Judaism, sometimes even reminded them when certain holidays were approaching. When a spam email showed up in my account advertising a service to help me find sincere Jewish singles in your area, I laughed and forwarded to my boyfriend at the time saying, I think I've got that covered. Ha, ha, ha. Sadly, the joke is on you. Of course these guys helped you decorate your Christmas trees. Of course. It probably meant more to them than Hanukkah did. I doubt that they even celebrated Hanukkah unless they had, you know, nephews or something who expected presents. But um, anyway, this, by the way, th this gets more interesting, actually. But uh, I am going to take a quick break. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, uh, back with you in a moment. First of all, the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Make a note, please, of a book called Dear Rabbi and Susan. And uh, it, it's a, a book in which we've gathered a, a big number of questions we've been asked along with our answers. Uh, we have questions similar to this one, marriage-related questions, where people ask about uh, uh, questions bothering them, either getting married or, or already in a marriage. There's the section of questions about finances. There's a section of questions on faith. And um, it's, it's really quite a lovely book. It's called Dear Rabbi and Susan, and it's a compilation of a whole bunch of these questions that we answer on our website um, at rabbidaniellappin.com. So you can either take a look on Amazon, go ahead and order it as a Kindle um, or as a regular book, or at the store on our website, rabbidaniellappin.com, you can go ahead and read up a whole lot more about this, uh, this book. Um, I, I really do think you'll enjoy it, and I will enjoy you buying it. So uh, back with you in just a moment. You're listening to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Find more at theblaze.com slash radio. Rabbi Daniel Lappin returns with more of How the World Really Works on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Hi, everybody. We're back. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Me, your rabbi. And uh, thanks, as always, for all that so many of you do to help promote the show and get more people to know about it. Uh, I, I love it, and I have a great metric for that. Not only do I know the increasing number of downloads, but I can also tell from the letters we get. Where do we get letters? Uh, at our website, rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, there's a special place there to communicate with us. And uh, the volume of those letters from people who, who speak about the show uh, keeps going up. So I appreciate that very much indeed. Just actually got a letter from George in South Africa asking me a very good question, which is uh, in response to the last show. We did a show just a, a few weeks ago. It wasn't the last one. It was a recent one uh, called Why the World Hates the Jews. And uh, uh, George writes and says, you know, they also hate white South Africans. And he's absolutely right, particularly white South African farmers who are um, now suffering um, at the hands of land confiscation policies by the uh, African National Congress-dominated South African government, essentially 
uh, repeating the mistakes that turned Zimbabwe into an economic basket case. But uh, it is true, the world cares absolutely nothing for the, um, for the white South Africans. I think people feel they had it coming, or and, and there's some other reasons to it as well. But um, at any rate, the point I'm making is that George is a regular listener of this podcast. And so I, uh, I, I read the letters. I answer quite a large number of them, as I did George's. And, uh, and, and that way I, I can tell that you all are doing a, a really bang-up job in terms of getting the word of the podcast out. Much appreciated, I really do. Um, okay, so on we go with uh, Kerry Purcell. And uh, look, uh, I'm certainly not pointing a finger at her particularly. I'm pointing a finger at the fact that nobody but nobody is teaching young women in America today what marriage is all about. If you do not come from a family in which this is part of the family culture, where your parents speak to you about marriage and your parents talk to you and your siblings about what you're looking for when you build your own home, most people don't know anything about it. They hear absolutely nothing about it from their government indoctrination camps they attend, you know, GICs, formerly known as public schools. Uh, you hear nothing about it in entertainment and media. And all of a sudden, this girl, poor Kerry, just thinks, you know, you meet a guy, you date him, and you have a great time, and you go around together, and you boyfriend and girlfriend, and uh, you're waiting for him to sometimes say, hey, should we get married? Guess what? He breaks up with you and um, starts dating someone else, and, and eventually, perhaps, maybe yes, maybe no, marries someone else. Look, there's no question about it that, uh, in my view, it's girls who get the short end of the stick, not the guys. In, in what the culture has today made of male-female relationships, it's the girls that get the short end. Anyway, let's carry on with Kerry's uh, piece, shall we? Because Kerry believes that, uh, that, you know, this is just, hey, this is so romantic and it's so loving. There was no sign of any trouble. Uh, we loved each other. We respected each other's culture. What could have gone wrong? Oh, it must be because they were Jewish and they only wanted to marry Jewish girls. Not true! And neither is your romantic perspective on life, Carrie. That's right. Sugar, sugar. It's not all sugar. If you marry wisely and you set up your marriage relationship properly with the right preparation, then don't be surprised if it's sugar, sugar from there onwards. But uh, when there's too much sugar, sugar up front, it kind of is tough to put a marriage together and build a durable relationship on that. So uh, back to Kerry. Sure. There were some tense moments in these relationships, she means with these two boy, Jewish boyfriends. One of their mothers was extremely overbearing, somehow getting my cell phone number and calling me, asking where her son was. I didn't know where he was, and her calling me made me incredibly uncomfortable. I asked my boyfriend how she got my number. He swore he didn't give it to her. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> um, sorry. And I told him I don't want this kind of involvement to be part of our relationship. 
When he talked to her about it, she exploded, yelling, If she were Jewish, she'd understand. I wasn't invited to the seders that his family held, despite my saying that I loved attending them with my friends. <laughs> oh my goodness, there is so much misguided thinking here. Um, first of all, um, how do you think his mother got your cell phone number, Kerry? How do you think he got it? She got it. And, um, and then your boyfriend saw he didn't give it to her. And, um, and then you told him, oh, I don't want your mothers to be that involved in our relationship. And um, s point to bear in mind here. Uh, and that is that, interestingly enough, in uh, the Lord's language in Hebrew, there are actually no words for bride and groom. That's true. There are two Hebrew words that are used contemporarily for marriages, uh, for bride and groom, respectively, kala and chatan. However, in Hebrew, those words don't actually mean bride and groom. They mean daughter-in-law and son-in-law. And the idea is that uh, this is a complicated relationship. It's not just a, a guy and a gal falling in love. No, it is complicated. There are siblings, there are parents, it's bringing together two families. And that is how it really does work in Christian communities and in Jewish communities, the 20% Jewish community. Yeah, it does work that way. And uh, Susan and I are very closely connected with the in-laws of some of our children. Uh, it is a bonding together of two families. So... A word to the wise, Carrie. Um, when you're going out with a guy and you indicate some kind of dislike for his mother or for his father, you're making a real mistake, um, especially if you're in the early boyfriend-girlfriend time of the relationship. Even if you've heard him denigrating his mother, which you probably did, it still won't go down well with him to hear you doing it. Now, you should have known that, Carrie. You're a smart girl. So um, did she really explode yelling, if she were Jewish, she'd understand? You weren't there. You don't know that. That's reported to you by your Jewish boyfriend. He may have made that up because he may have already been looking for ways to end this relationship. Because he was so committed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you weren't? No, not at all, because he got tired of you. That's really what was happening. Uh, so she says, I wasn't invited to the seders that his family held, despite my saying I loved attending them with my friends. Look, uh, for many people, seders are intense family uh, affairs. They really are. They are for us, by the way. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not that common, although we are very hospitable and we have friends, both Jewish and Christian, uh, joining us for Shabbat meals all the time, for festival meals all the time. Uh, we're a lot less likely to do that for the Seder. It's just a different kind of experience. tends to be very family-centric. So, uh, uh, so the notion that they didn't invite you to that, that's not that unusual. And despite you saying how much you loved attending them, look, the fact that you like attending Seders does not really place an obligation on them to invite you. Uh, there were times at church that I saw couples worshiping together and I felt pangs of jealousy. 
But I told myself every relationship had its problems, and these were relatively minor. Well, you've got to make up your mind. Either they're minor or they're major. I think uh, religious differences are major. I really do. Now, in this case, I'm not sure they are major because the commitment of the boys to Judaism uh, was not a very strong commitment. And uh, I don't think your commitment to Christianity, according to your own words, wasn't that strong either. But yes, you saw couples worshiping together. That was not going to happen if you stayed with any of these Jewish guys because they didn't worship, period. I guarantee you, and, uh, and this, I, you know, <laughs> you can put any money you like on this, uh, I guarantee you beyond a shadow of a doubt that neither of those two guys had ever prayed to God, ever. And they probably weren't about to start. She continued, These issues weren't there at first, but they started to appear after some time had passed, and we were already in love. We were already in love. After years of dating, religion was suddenly a problem when it had never been before. I didn't understand where it was coming from, and they weren't able to explain it. Yeah, because... They couldn't claim that religion was the problem because they weren't committed to their religion. And it was awkward to tell you they were breaking up with you. It's always awkward for a guy to tell a girl whom he's been sleeping with that he's breaking up with her. One of the reasons that premarital sex isn't the greatest idea in the whole world because it's very difficult to end a relationship for a man uh, when you've been sleeping with the girl. Even if he really doesn't feel he wants to marry her, it's sometimes just too hard to do. And I know, and I'm sure you do, of many marriages that came about because uh, one party or the other simply didn't know how to extricate themselves. Guarantee you they were sleeping together. When there's no sleeping together beforehand, it's the easiest thing in the world. You know, I really don't think this is, is working out. This isn't right for, for me and probably not for you. I wish you well, but I don't think there's any re point in us carrying. I mean, you do it. It's not pleasant, but you do it. But once there's been a sexual bond formed, people don't realize the strength of that. People think it can be casual, like casual sex. No such thing. There just isn't. Look, I'm sorry. I'm just telling you ancient Jewish wisdom. You might disagree, but for what it's worth, that's what I'm teaching on this show. All right. Um not being Jewish was not the official reason either of these relationships ended. That's what she says. So here she's being truthful because it, it wasn't that she was, was not Jewish. It had nothing to do with that. There were other problems, money, careers, plans for the future, problems I wanted to at least try to work through. But when I tried to talk about them, somehow the fact that I wasn't Jewish came up, even in conversations that have nothing to do with family or children, when I asked, what does that have to do with this? They didn't or couldn't answer and kept talking about Judaism. After we broke up, both men went on to find serious partners who were in fact Jewish. And while I try not to look back after a relationship ends to go full on Carrie Bradshaw, that's a reference to Sex in the City, an old TV show, I couldn't help but wonder if this was not just a coincidence but a pattern I should pay attention to. I didn't doubt the love we'd had for each other. Gosh, I mean... If this is not a teenage girl, for heaven's sakes. I didn't doubt the love we'd had for each other. And I knew religion was one of the top reasons couples break up. But why did they say it didn't matter and then decide it did and find partners who fit the description they said they weren't actually looking for? I guess dating me had been their last act of defiance against cultural or familial expectations 
before finding someone who warranted their parents' approval, perhaps the equivalent of a woman dating a motorcycle-driving, leather-jacket-wearing bad boy before settling down with a banker with a 9-5 job. I now jokingly consider myself a Jewish man's rebellion and guard myself against again landing in that role. But living in New York and working in theater, I frequently meet Jewish men. Some of them might actually even be straight. Pardon me, that was my parenthesis. At almost every event I go to, they approach me. As flattered as I am, I don't welcome the complications and potential heartbreak I've experienced back in my life. Uh, yeah, listen, heartbreak I understand after you spend three or four years as the girlfriend of a guy and it goes absolutely nowhere. How awful is that? Of course your heart was broken. And that's why I speak against dating and in favor of courting. In the meantime, I'll continue dating and meeting my friends, Jewish and not, to swap Tinder horror stories over drinks. Hopefully, while sipping the cocktail I'm determined to create named The Jewish Man's Rebellion, I'd like it to feature a bourbon base and be garnished with a slice of bacon. And that is her story. Uh, what is interesting is that uh, in the Jewish community, this article has gone all over the place, and this is the reason I'm talking about it. I, I guarantee you it's going to be spoken about in synagogues and, uh, and cultural events. Wherever Jews gather, they're going to be talking about this Washington Post article called I'm Tired of Being a Jewish Man's Rebellion. What is absolutely ridiculous and uh, really ought to be a topic for another show, but I will at least just tell you about it now, what is really ridiculous is how many people have written about this being a terrible example of anti-Semitism. Oh, this is anti-Semitic. How terrible this is. Um, look at her. She's, she's stereotyping guys. Hey, did you catch the last sentence where she said she's going to garnish the drink with bacon? I must tell you, this is uh, the closing point for today's show, and that is that uh, uh, in the same way that the country has become excessively sensitive, uh, the idea that nobody must be offended, and the idea that every nuance of speech must be rigorously policed and regulated in order that, oh, nobody should be offended, um, there is just too much attempt to bludgeon people into silence by labeling certain comments as, oh, it's racist, well, you better keep quiet or apologize, oh, that's anti-Semitic. Uh, this has to stop. I've often challenged uh, co-religionists of mine to give me a definition of anti-Semitism. You won't be shocked to hear that after many years of doing this, I have yet to be given a definition. The nice thing about using the term anti-Semitism is you can make it mean whatever you want it to mean. And this article is proof uh, of hundreds of comments the Washington Post article got online Many, 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 of, and I didn't have time to count, but huge numbers um, were by Jews who said, oh, how anti-Semitic she is about all of this. Uh, although, by the way, I did catch a couple of comments who quite correctly said, lady, it has nothing to do with you not being Jewish. Uh, plenty Jewish guys marry non-Jewish girls. Happens all the time. It just didn't happen in your case. And uh, whether these two guys decided they wanted to marry somebody Jewish, someone, maybe their parents were big on it, who knows, but uh, that wasn't the issue. However, many of the comments railed against her anti-Semitism. Look, this is complete and utter nonsense. There's not a shred of anti-Semitism, and by the way, 
if after her experiences she is a bit bitter about Jewish men, so what? That's not bad. I mean, it's sad. I wish it weren't so. I wish every Jew behaved uh, uprightly and morally so that everybody should be a credit. It would be lovely if that were the case, and I'm sure every Latter-day Saints church member would love it if every Mormon behaved only perfectly and every Baptist would love it if every Baptist behaved beautifully and every Roman Catholic would only wish that every Catholic... Okay, in the real world, it ain't like that. And uh, for, uh, for this woman to comment on what she sees as bad experiences, again, her own role uh, as she was very complicit in her sad situation, very complicit indeed. But for her to write about this was not in the slightest bit anti-Semitic. So that's as far as we go. I hope this little... A stroll down the byways of uh, the Jewish community are, uh, is helpful to you, at least entertaining and useful, interesting, maybe, I hope so. Uh, and um, visit the website, take a look at a book called Dear Rabbi and Susan, where uh, we tackle many questions on uh, sex and romance, on money and finance, on family and friendships, uh, and yes, even on faith. And uh, we answer these questions, quite a whole bunch of them. It really makes very relaxed and easy reading. It's called Dear Rabbi and Susan. It's on Kindle on Amazon, and it's also on our website at rabbidaniellappin.com. The website is the place where you might want to check into our television show. We've got a daily TV show you might enjoy, also visible on the web, by the way. Uh, you, you don't need a TV set for it. You can watch it on your computer or on your phone or your tablet or whatever it is. All of that, very possible, at rabbidaniellappin.com. So uh, that's it for this week. I wish you a week of good health and prosperity. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network.